You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the writer and director for Another Round, Thomas Vinterberg. apologize about the delays there's been some technical issues and some people who kept asking questions <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm in Copenhagen town um, and uh, you know in my beautiful confinement here <laughs> and where are you uh, so normally I would be talking to you from LA but I popped over to my parents in Atlanta over the holidays and decided to stay here for a couple extra weeks just because the LA COVID cases are so high. So yeah, I'm talking to you from Atlanta, Georgia right now. So very great, great. Yeah. Now, uh, what do I see on the shelves behind you? You look pretty well read there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some, actually, you know, you know, there's, there's some Hemingway, there's some Danish literature, there's some awards, there's some Hans Christian Andersen. And then um, the most interesting books uh, in, in Denmark, we have a Lutheran church mm-hmm. uh, and we have uh, half of the, half of our priests are female. Oh, really? Right. And my wife is a priest. Oh, that's cool. So there's a lot of Kierkegaard and clever, great books. Um, and she, but she's in the movie as well. She's also an actress. She's the one getting pissed at actually. In, 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 really? Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So um, the fact that you've you've told me all that, I mean, you clearly read a lot of philosophy if you've got Kierkegaard just sitting up there. Um, tell me a little bit about where the idea from this came from. Was that a real philosopher? And is that a real theory he had about keeping your alcohol level up? 
He's a real doctor and psychiatrist. And yes, this was something he said, but uh, academically speaking, it, it wouldn't add up to a real theory in their world. Gotcha. That's something we call it because we're not real academics. <laughs> uh, it's something he, he, he thought about and put in a book, mm-hmm. but it's not a, a proven academic theory. But yes, he said it, and he loves the movie, and he's, in, he's introducing the movie in his own country, which is Norway. Oh, that's hilarious. And we had a meeting with him and, uh, about the script and, and so forth. But calling it a theory is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, my high school science teacher would kill me for <laughs> misphrasing that. We call it a theory, so, so it's, it's coming it's true. Us. This is your fault. <laughs> yeah. So beyond coming across this idea he has, though, um, what built the bigger idea i mean what was kind of the impetus you for for you to make this film that's very much uh commentary on binge drinking uh well to start with it was uh, solely a celebration of alcohol looking at world history and seeing how many fantastic things people have accomplished being drunk <laughs> looking at churchill making decisions about sending hundreds of thousands of civilians into fisher boats, into war, mm-hmm. uh, is a completely irrational but brilliant decision. And he probably wasn't sober when he made that decision. <laughs> and all the books from Hemingway, which is made as a long love declarance to drinking. Um, but then we, we got fascinated with the fact that this socially accepted liquor that elevates the conversations that make people marry, I don't know that many couples, uh, married couples who found each other sober. Yeah. <laughs> um, it still also kills people and destroys families and destroys whole societies. And it's a huge societal problem. Uh, so we decided to bring both, both sides of drinking into this movie to make it as truthful as possible. So it went from more provocative piece to a more honest survey, if you'd like. Um, and then on top of that, we, we got the ambition of making it um, a life-affirming film. We wanted it to be about more than just drinking. So I was curious in that regard, and you'll probably tell me you want to leave it ambiguous, but I don't know if you've seen online, there's a lot of debate ultimately about whether the ending should be viewed as a tragic or an uplifting one? Because I know some people see it as these are people who have now relapsed and they're going to keep making the same mistakes. And then other people see it as people learning the right reasons to drink and enjoying it healthfully. So um, do you have any stance on what you were trying to communicate with the ending ultimately? Well, first of all, I wanted this movie not only the ending, but the entire movie, uh, not to take a side. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a survey uh, without being moralistic and also without being an alcohol ad. Right. <laughs> and we always wanted to balance these things. And at the end, we keep it open, which might, might annoy some people, actually, because we, don't, we, we never draw the conclusion. Which is why this movie, the movie was a huge box office in, in Denmark, like the biggest I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Probably this is part of the reason, because we had youngsters of 
like 19 year old youngsters with a bag of beer, having seen it for the fourth time going out. And next to them, we had anonymous, anonymous alcoholics feeling that the movie was about them. Um, now in the movie I see, you know, you know, if there's 500 people in a cinema, I think there's 500 different movies. Sure. And there should be. But the movie I see is a movie where one of them loses, mm-hmm. even loses his life, and another one wins. So to me, he's flying at the end. Someone feels that he's falling, yeah. but I feel he's flying. He's getting another chance. He's getting another round, and he's getting his wife back. Oh, okay. And he, he's come to a new place. That honestly puts me in such a better <laughs> headspace knowing you feel that way. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Well, that scene that you choose to uh, to kind of demonstrate that with with Mads dancing like that, <laughs> did you choreograph that in advance? Or I know Mads has a background as a gymnast. Did you just kind of let him go wild for the finale? Oh, this was... As with most other stuff that looks natural or real, it, it's a result of a lot of work. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's all choreographed. There's been a dancer choreographing the dance moves. And there's been me choreographing the, the reluctance, the reluctant way that he's mm-hmm. going there and going away and then, and then finally gives in, which pretty well describes how he felt about it. He was a little reluctant about the scene. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, he was. He felt it was a bit of a stretch that a teacher would end up dancing like that, and, but still he loved it and and ended up devoting himself completely to it. So no, that was choreographed, but it was never performed. Mm-hmm. It was lived. It was more about his his character than about his dance moves and the perfection of his dance moves. And some of it is pretty imperfect, uh, and that's obviously part of how we shot this movie right it was supposed to look like it could have happened for real so when you were trying to get all these guys to so believably play drunk um did you let the cast drink together did you have anyone drink 
before a take? I mean, tell me a little bit about that prep. Of course. Uh, we didn't drink on set. Okay. No alcohol on set because they might have to drive a car right after and they have, mm-hmm. have to last for 12 hours. And because I, I treat them and consider them professionals, they can act. I'm asking them to act and not to be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amateurism. It's true. Uh, to some extent. So, but, but before shooting, we had a booze boot camp <laughs> for like uh, two weeks, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, one of the weeks was about drama, but a full week was dedicating to acting drunk. And, this, and, in, and in this week, that was drinking. Because, you know, it's a difficult thing. To act drunk. Yeah. You know, up until a certain level, you hide that you're drunk, which is normal for, for an actor. Mm-hmm. You pretend that you're sober. And then you show a little bit of a crack, you know, and that's it. But all, all it's, but after a certain level, like from 1.1 or a little bit further up, it becomes about balance and about falling without using your arms to protect yourself. And all of these ridiculous things that just very easily looks overacted. So we had to look at a, a lot of Russian videos <laughs> on YouTube and copy them and try them and film it and drink. And that was uh, both very ambitious and hard work and quite fun. Did you guys try the cocktail they make for the big like blackout scene? The Sazerac. Yes, the Sazerac. It's a New Orleans cocktail, which is made to look like a cocktail, but which is pure alcohol, basically. <laughs> it, you know, it's made by the musicians to be able to get... Oh, yeah. Yeah, to get, you know. Um, and uh, I tried it after, oh. but not before. And uh, it's, it's an amazing drink because it really kickstarts the night. You know, back in 20 years ago, uh, you were very big on the Dogma 95 movement. And obviously your films today have a very different style. You know, this and The Hunt are very, you know, aesthetically pleasing, polished films. 20 years out, how do you feel about the Dogma 95 movement? I feel proud. It was an amazing time. And I think we came really far with it. And it was like a spark of light back in the days. I loved it dearly. Mm-hmm. And the question that remains is, why don't you continue to make dogma movies then? And, and the answer is not that simple, but, but yet again, quite clear. Dogma was a revolt mm-hmm. against certain ways of filming. And it was definitely a risk. Everyone warned me. They called me and said, you're going you're gonna to commit professional suicide. What are you doing? You're a madman. So the element of jumping off a cliff, not knowing if there was water below us, mm-hmm. and doing it together created the sense of ultimate solidarity, which is something I really enjoyed, and which is actually a parallel to the movie that you've just watched. Oh, yes, it is, yeah. But we wanted to undress the movie and make it as naked as possible, and yet suddenly it became a massive success in Cannes in 98. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it was a fancy dress. It was uh, sexy and it was no longer connected to any risk. Right. And there was even a ticket to a film festival if you would do a Dogma movie. <laughs> it, didn't even have to be, it didn't even have to be good. So the, the element of risk and revolt and, and all of that disappeared. 
And doing a dogma day, a dogma film now would even be an old dress, hmm. right? It's we've seen it before. Do you think we're due for a new dogma style revolt, even if it doesn't manifest in the same way? And what do you think that would look like? I have no idea. If I if I knew, I would do it. <laughs> but um, the thing is, I'm looking for the same thing. I even did that before the dogma movement. I'm, I'm always looking for the truthfulness. Now, this movie that you've just seen is, is entirely handheld. Mm -hmm. And it's pursuing an element of truthfulness. Yet still, it's not grainy and, and super shaky and, and, and stuff like that. Right. But it, it does have some of the same virtues in it. A new dogma movement. What do I know? I don't know. <laughs> There's so much you can do now. Well, the, the closest I've seen to, to a technical reinvention of cinema was in, in a film called Play by the Swedish guy who did the Avalanche and uh, the script. Oh, okay. Ruben Islund, mm -hmm. uh, where he's making uh, the same wide shot for like 250 times. And then he zooms into it and does invisible cuts. So it becomes one long take, but it's 250 takes cut together. Oh my God. I don't, I don't know. Visual revolution right now? I don't know. <laughs> if, there's any, if there's one around, let me know. <laughs> I'll reach out. Uh, so... Musically, the film's interesting. It doesn't use a traditional score, and you have this great theme song that I guess was technically written before the film, but it has become the kind of anthem of another round. So it's this, this song, What a Night. So tell me a little bit about the background of that song and choosing this song. What a life. What a life. That's embarrassing. <laughs> my wife picked it. Oh, really? My, my priest actress wife is also my... my uh my music producer in the sense that, well, she, she totally picked it. I was chasing crazy expensive rights all over the world and found it really difficult to find the right song. And when I did find it, people did not want to be associated with an alcohol movie and so forth. Yeah. And she just kept saying, well, the song is right here, Thomas. It's right here in Denmark, right in front of you. And I was like, well, it's not enough of a party and stuff. And then I did love the song, so I called the band and we, well, they created a version which was a little bit more upbeat and which ended in, the, in this sense of ecstasy that the scene and the film ends in. And now I feel that this song is, it's inseparable from the movie. Yeah. And it does have all the elements of the movie in it. And it's so obvious that this should be the song, but you know, you can thank my wife for that. <laughs> Been stuck in my head for weeks. So right. would you ever consider, I guess, first off, have you been approached about an American remake and would you ever let it happen? I have been approached. Uh, and I've also been approached by Germany and China and <laughs> a lot of places. And all I've said so far is that if there's Chinese version, I want to be there when they shoot the codfish scene. <laughs> I want to see that in Chinese. It has to be in the contract. <laughs> but uh, it's it's all very new and fresh. And uh, and first, the first thing is that I'm flattered that people yeah like the movie enough to want to make it again. Yeah, it's very cool. So, what are you working on next? We have uh, another Mads and Thomas collaboration coming. 
I'm, I'm working on a Danish TV series right now, mm-hmm. which I am enjoying a lot. I have, for private reasons, uh, my life hasn't been as cheerful as, as the movie. Mm. Um, that was a tragedy in my life, actually, while shooting the movie. Um, so I'm, I'm staying here, taking care of my family and making a Danish TV series, which I'm actually very fond of. I look forward to seeing that. Well, uh, Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, is there anything else that you just wish people would know or ask about another round before I go? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is not particularly funny, actually. They, they should probably know that I made this movie for my daughter. Hmm. who died while shooting it. Uh, And if they see, if they feel any sense of love on the screen, it's probably from uh, coming from the film crew and the actors trying to give me everything they had inside of them. Hmm. The sense of togetherness comes from that. If they ever laugh, it might might have been because those four actors did everything they could to make their director laugh at a time where it was almost impossible. That's really beautiful. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. So thank you. I think that gives a whole additional beautiful extra layer to the film. So uh, I, I hope it was cathartic for you as well, and you know it, it brought a lot of people joy, myself included. So it was the only thing that made sense. So. Um, Thank you so much. Okay, but thank you. Thank you, and good luck at the Oscar season this year. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the writer and director for Another Round, Thomas Vinterberg, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Another Round is the Danish entry for this year's Best International Feature Oscar and has recently been nominated for BAFTA awards, including Best Film Not in the English Language, Best Actor for Mads Mikkelsen, Best Director for Thomas Vinterberg, and Best Original Screenplay. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.